The text for the sermon this day is taken from Mark's account of the Garden of Gethsemane, which is chapter 14, beginning at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found, found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Anxiety, stress. Something that many of us know what that's like. That experience of when you had something big happening the very next day. It might be that there was a big exam the next day when you were in school. Maybe it was on the eve of a big game or a big wrestling meet. Maybe it was on the eve of your wedding or on the eve when you knew that you were going to propose to that person. Maybe it was on, that, on the right before you had the big date. There are, any, there are any of a number of things that can lead us to stress and anxiety. The anxiety and stress that we feel in those moments are but a fraction of what our Lord experienced. It comes nowhere close to it. Because the anxiety that he has was for what would happen to him in the hours to come. The most significant event in the history of all of creation was going to happen in a few hours. It was going to happen to him. He knew everything that was going to happen and he knew every detail. He knew that as he prayed, his friends Peter, James, and John were asleep, unable to stay awake for even an hour. Now it seems easy to you know, understand why Peter, James, and John were sleepy. I mean, it was probably close to midnight. And the, but the reality is, is that it was more that they did not understand what was going on. They still had not fully grasped 
what was going to happen that day. And so Jesus prayed, knew that they could, knowing that they weren't keeping watch, that they were not praying as they should. He knew that before long a battalion of soldiers would come, led by Judas, one of his good friends, one of the people that swore their lives to Jesus. He knows that that man was going to betray him with a kiss. The international sign of affection and love was going to be the sign of betrayal. He knew that one of those soldiers would have their ear cut off. He knew that he would be drugged away, led to the city of Jerusalem, led to a trial before the Sanhedrin. Early in the, in the early hours of the morning, a trial that was illegal under Roman law. He knew that he would be spat upon. He knew they would make up stories saying that he did and said things he didn't. He, know, he knew he would be struck in the face. He knew that he would be condemned. He knew that he would later that night spend several hours inside of a dungeon attached to shackles, waiting for his trial before Pilate. He knew he would stand before Pilate, that Roman pontiff, that Roman governor. He knew that Pilate would, would declare him innocent. And his own people, the people who he grew up with, the people who he performed miracles before, the people who he taught, loved, and had incredible compassion upon, would be the very ones who would say, crucify him. He knew that Pilate would have him led away to be flogged, whipped by the cat and nine tails, that he would be robed with a purple, he'd put, they'd place a purple robe on him. They'd give him a crown of thorns and drive the thorns deep into his skull. He knew that even that would not satisfy the crowd. And the crowd would still say, crucify him. He knew that he would be ride, walking down the main streets of Jerusalem. The very same streets that only a few days earlier he rode in triumphantly on a donkey. A street in which the crowd hollered, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Yet on this moment he would be carrying a piece of wood. Barely able to walk. It was a wonder that he would survive the flogging since so many hearts gave out. He'd carry that cross all the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull, a mountain, a hill on the outside of Jerusalem, towards the entry of the city so that whenever anybody was killed on that hill, everybody would see it. It was an act of humiliation to die on that hill. And so he knew he would go there. And he knew that that very wood he was carrying, there would be nails driven into his hands. He knew that there would be nails driven into his feet. 
He knew that for six hours he would be gasping for breath, bleeding, a bloody, sweaty mess. He knew he would take his last breath. And as bad as all of that is, the worst was in those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that the God who would never turn his back on you, who would never deny you, abandon you, would do that for Jesus. The reason is because what was laid on Jesus What he knew when he was praying in the garden was that he was carrying the sins of the entire world. Every single sin that has ever been committed by you, by the person sitting next to you, by me, by every human being that has lived from Adam to after you have died. After you are long gone, every little white lie, every thought of anger, every thought of vengeance that nobody even knows that you have committed but yourself, every bit of it, he was carrying to the cross. He who had no sin became sin for us. As the Apostle Paul says. Jesus, one of the things we kind of get the idea is that we think might think that Jesus wanted to be crucified. He didn't. He's praying in the garden that this cup may pass from him. God Jesus did not desire to suffer. And remember, this is God of God, Lord of Lords. The one who spoke the world into creation. He is the one who spoke to Adam and Eve after they fell into sin. He is the one who wrestled with, um, wrestled with Jacob, which is the Old Testament reading this coming Sunday. He is the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He is the one who was on the throne, high and exalted before Isaiah. He was the one in the burning furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is the one who by his words, you exist. And yet, he gave up his heavenly glory. He gave up his heavenly throne, and he suffered incredibly. Not because he wanted to, but because he had to. Because it was the absolute best way to redeem you. Not because there's anything special about you or me. Jesus did not die. Jesus' love is not because of how wonderful we are. People want to get, we often want to do, say that, oh, Jesus loves you in spite of, loves you just the way you are. 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't love your sinful nature. That's why he went to the cross. We get the idea that Jesus loves you because you are you. And that's not true either. Jesus loves you because he created you. He loves you because you are his. We like what belongs to us. Not many people, unless they're trying to get insurance money, burns down their own house. They like having their house. They like it because it's theirs. We cherish the things that belong to us. We belong to Christ. We were claimed as his, most specifically in the waters of baptism. In the place that we were united to the cross. And see, the thing is, the thing we might get mistaken and think is that because Jesus died for his sin and that this victory has been free, because it is. What he earned on the cross, what he was preparing to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he was praying about, you didn't have to do anything for it. None of your works will ever get close to equaling what God has done, what Jesus has done for you. And in fact, the works that we do are like filthy rags. It's all by the grace of God that we receive that forgiveness, that we receive life. The cross is the very center. The place that Jesus is going is the center point of the world. The center point of everything. The thing from which all meaning comes. It's the thing that is to be center of every sermon, of every preaching. It's Christ and Him crucified. And by the way, I don't know if you realize, but many churches, you could go a long time with ever, without ever hearing that Jesus died for you. Which is a great tragedy. The crucifixion. The death of Jesus is the center of everything. With it comes the death of our sin. Because the thing is, Jesus also knows that he is going to rise. And so shall we. We too will rise. So does that mean that we should go live out recklessly, that we can live however we want? No. On the contrary, if that is the cost of our sin, every time you sit there and think, well, I could do this because Jesus died for me, you say, yes, think of that nail driving into his hands. That was the cost of whatever that sinful action is. That should curb you. That is the extent of his love. That was how much your sin cost. Why keep paying it? Furthermore, we look at how God loved us. That moves us to love the same as other, for others. We are Christians. As I've mentioned this before, do, you, do any of you remember when I've asked, what does Christian mean? Little Christ. To be a little Christ means that you are willing to die on the cross, die on a cross for your enemies. 
That is how we are called to be. That is what the cross points us to. We were enemies of God and we were given life. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That is what Jesus did for you. That's what he does for me. And by that, we are encouraged to love our neighbors just as he loved us. Let it be so until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace and peace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.